Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, folks. Welcome to Bible Truth for Living and the Bible Truth Podcast. We sure do appreciate you listening today, whether it's by radio or on our podcast. We are always excited to be with you. I'd like to always remind you that we're on two radio stations every Sunday morning. And then our radio messages, as well as other Bible teachings, are available at the Bible Truth Podcast. You can listen to that at your convenience. Just go to your favorite podcast host, search for Bible Truth uh, for living with Pastor Tim Reynolds, and uh, it'll come up, and then you can subscribe and listen to all of our radio teachings as well as other um, Bible teachings that are on there as well. Today's message I've titled The Day of Atonement. Uh, this is really going off of last Sunday's uh, holiday, a Jewish holiday, which is called Yom Kippur. And I'll explain more about that in just a moment, but I want to read from Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 29. God says, and this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. Now, that is not according to our calendar that we use now, but it's according to the Jewish calendar. The month is Tishri, and so it's the tenth day, which is ten days after Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you, to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments." And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Well, almost everything we eat, whether that is plant or animal, was once alive. It had to be plucked up, uh, pulled off, cut down, or killed in order to sustain our lives. Uh, Every time we eat, we're reminded that something must die in order for other things to live. And, you know, we often reap the benefits of that exchange without considering the cost of that exchange. Now, that same principle is true in regards to our salvation. We reap the benefits of salvation. We celebrate the fact that we're going to heaven and and all of that, but sometimes we uh, forget or at least uh, overlook the cost that uh, it took for Jesus to die on the cross to make that exchange possible. You see, Jesus Christ willingly embraced the cross, exchanging his sinless life for our sinful life. 
That is what atonement is all about. The word atone means to cover the cost by paying a penalty. The penalty cannot be done away with. It still has to be met. It just comes down to who pays the penalty. Uh, Let's say that I commit some heinous crime and I go to court for that and I'm convicted, found guilty, and I'm sentenced uh, to the death penalty. Uh, But someone comes along and says, Tim's guilty. He's done all of these things. It's been proven, but I want to take his place. The crime has been committed. The punishment is still required. The penalty must be paid. Uh, but someone says, well, I'll take it. I'll take care of that penalty in Tim's place. Well, that's exactly the exchangement that takes place between Christ and the sinner. We get his righteousness. He takes our sin. That's what atonement is all about. All right. It's, it's paying the penalty. Now, prophetically, the day of atonement is about God's judgment for sin. Now, we're not going to really get into that part of it today, but I just want to share some thoughts about this day of atonement. Now, This past week, uh, in fact, last Sunday, September 24th, was the most important holy day on the Jewish calendar. It's called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. I mentioned a moment ago that it occurs 10 days after the the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, the New Year uh, on the Jewish calendar. Even non-religious Jews who ignore all other Jewish customs and holidays will often attend synagogue services on the Day of Atonement. They will attend scripture readings, the blowing of the shofar, and proclamations of next year in Jerusalem are made. And and the reason they say next year in Jerusalem is because all of these sacrifices we will be looking at have ceased since A.D. 70, when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. There is no Jewish temple in Jerusalem at this time. Now, my purpose today is not so much to look at all of the Jewish customs and the holidays. That's interesting to study, the feast and all of those. But I want to help us to see the spiritual significance of Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. You know, some people, uh, when you talk about Bible prophecy, they believe that Jesus will return on maybe the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, or maybe uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, or uh, uh, some other Jewish feast. And could that happen? Absolutely. It is also possible that it could be any other day of the year, okay? Because the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any time, any day, any moment. There there needs be no sign or certain uh, religious holiday for that to occur on. But it could occur on one of these days. Now, I want to share just two simple points regarding the Day of Atonement. First of all, I want us to see the practical significance. Now, in Leviticus 16, the text that we just read, God is commanding Israel to perform this ritual Day of Atonement every year. There are a lot of details that I'm going to just pass over, and I'm going to give you three simple components of the Day of Atonement. Number one, there is the preparation for the services. Back to the text in verse 29, God says that uh, you'll make this a statute forever in the seventh month on the 10th day, and you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. And then in verse 31, he repeats that it shall be a Sabbath of rest and you shall afflict your souls. What is all of that about, afflict your souls? Well, it's a somber day for the Jewish people. We see here they were told to do no work. They will also fast. That means no food or drink on this day. 
No washing of clothes or uh, bed linens or anything like that. No bathing. Uh, no work. No conjugal or physical pleasure. Uh, no wearing of leather shoes. These are all part of the afflicting of the soul. It's similar to the practice of Lent that some practice. And so that's what we see right here in Leviticus is God says you you are to afflict your souls. You're to do without some things as you prepare for uh, the Day of Atonement services. And then the second thing we see is the presentation of the sacrifices. In verse 32, God says, and the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make an atonement for the tabernacle and the altar and shall make an atonement for the priest and for all the people. So now we come to the part where the sacrifices are being presented. Now, Israel had a high priest, all right? The first high priest was the brother of Moses. His name was Aaron. And before the high priest could ever offer sacrifices for the people, he had to offer sacrifices for himself. You say, why is that? Well, because the high priest himself was a sinner too. And so sacrifices had to be made for the high priest. Well, let me read that to you. It's in verse 11 of Leviticus 16. God says, and Aaron, the high priest, shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Now that's referring to the testimony there is the Ark of the Covenant, and on the Ark of the Covenant you had the mercy seat. Verse 14, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness, the sin of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he, the high priest, come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household, and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord, and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his fingers seven times, and cleanse it, and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Now, there's a lot of different things in there that I can bring. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you this, that Aaron the high priest would kill a bull and offer its blood for himself and his family, and then he would kill a goat and offer the blood of the goat for the rest of the people.
You say, that all sounds rather bloody and, and all to me. Well, it was. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So you have the preparation for the services. They would afflict their souls, do without certain things, and then the presentation of the sacrifices as the high priest would kill a bull for himself and then a goat for the people. And then we have something, the third part of this, this is rather interesting. It's called the pardon of the scapegoat. Now, the scapegoat is mentioned in verse 5 of Leviticus 16, and we'll be tying all this together. Just stay with me here, okay? Verse 5, and he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering. Verse 7, and he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented live before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now I'm going to skip to verse 20. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, that is the scapegoat, and Aaron shall lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions, and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness." And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now, what in the world is going on here? Well, the Bible tells us that the high priest, after he sheds the blood of a bull for himself, he gets two goats. One goat will be the sacrifice. That is the blood that will be sprinkled on the mercy seat for all the people. The other goat is called the scapegoat. The priest would lay his hands on this goat. He would put the sins of the people on that goat in his prayer. And then the goat would be sent out to the wilderness carrying the sins of the people. He's called the scapegoat. One lives, one dies. Now, this is represented in the crucifixion uh, story with a man named Barabbas. You've heard of Barabbas before. I'm going to read Luke 23 and verse 13. And again, there's a lot I could bring out of this, uh, but uh, to save time, I'm just going to glance over it. Luke 23:13 says, "In Pilate, that was the the Roman governor, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man, speaking about Jesus." Uh, unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I send you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one of them at the feast. And they cried all at once, saying, Away with this man, Jesus, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition or rebellion made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. So this Barabbas character was a revolutionary. He was a murderer. And Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. 
And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, that is, Barabbas, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. What you have here is a picture of the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat. Jesus would become the sacrifice, his blood would be shed for the sins of the people, while Barabbas would be the scapegoat who was released. Uh, Now, uh, some say, and I think it's a very good possibility, that the center cross was actually the cross meant for Barabbas, because we find in verse 32 that with Jesus there were two other malefactors or criminals led with him to be put to death. They came to the place called Calvary, and there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right, one on the left. Well, it could be that Barabbas, the cross was meant for him and then these two others, but instead he is let go. He becomes the scapegoat. Jesus becomes the sacrifice. And in the next verse, Jesus makes an interesting statement. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now there's a dual uh, reference here. Number one, he says they know not what they do because they don't realize they are crucifying God. God who has come in the flesh. They also fail to realize that they are fulfilling the prophecy given in Leviticus chapter 16. Unbeknownst to them, they are completely fulfilling God's will by releasing Barabbas as the scapegoat and taking Jesus, making him the sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They do not realize they are actually fulfilling the day of atonement that was given in Leviticus chapter 16. Now, let me give you the second part of this, and that is the prophetic significance of the day of atonement. The Day of Atonement, with all of its rituals, with all of the shedding of blood of the bull and the goats and the rams, it was never intended to provide salvation or remove sins. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Beloved, salvation has never been about sacrificing animals and the shedding of their blood. Salvation has always been by faith in a coming Redeemer. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth centuries before Christ was born. David said, let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. The prophet Isaiah said, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The prophet Jeremiah said, their Redeemer is strong, the Lord of hosts is his name. All of the Old Testament characters, Abraham and and David and and Daniel and, and just all of these, they were not saved by the sacrifices of animals. They were saved because they believe that those sacrifices pointed to a coming Redeemer. Just like we look back to the cross as Jesus for our sacrifice, they looked forward to the cross. Now, let's talk quickly about the Day of Atonement, what it points to. Number one, the Day of Atonement points to the sinless life of our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. 
For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested like as we are, yet without sin. You see, beginning with Aaron and every other high priest to follow, they had to offer a bull for their own sin for their own sacrifice before they ever sacrificed for the sins of the people. But Jesus Christ was his own sacrifice. There was not an animal's blood that had to be shed for that high priest because he qualified himself, his perfect sinless life and his sinless blood. Number two, the day of atonement points to the selfless sacrifice of our Savior. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10 says, by the which will we are sanctified or set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Man, that's great. That means that he was the selfless, sinless sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The theological term for that is propitiation. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, a go-between, a representative with God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he... Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word propitiation means satisfactory substitute. I could not be a satisfactory substitute for your sin, nor you for mine. Only one could do that. That is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the only satisfactory substitute. That means he paid the penalty for our sin. He took God's judgment for us. We sing a song oftentimes during our invitation. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, the atonement is about God's judgment. Judgment for sin has to be meted out. And beloved, either you'll have to take that punishment and judgment yourself for eternity in a place called hell, eternally separated from God, or you can accept Jesus as your substitute. I would recommend doing that one, all right? Number three, the day of atonement points to the settled redemption of sinners. At the conclusion of the atonement synagogue service, the high priest would cry out, it is done. Much like Jesus Christ from the cross cried out in John 19 30, it is finished. What was he talking about? Was he talking about his life? No. What is finished? What was finished was the work for salvation of humanity and the redemption of sinners. That means we are bought with a price. He purchased us. Back to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. The Bible tells us this, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or this structure, this body, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, 
sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, without sin to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he, Christ, is the mediator, the go-between of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Bottom line, meaning that he and his sinless blood is the one that redeems the sinner from our sins. The last thing I want to share with you is that the day of atonement points to the subsequent deliverance of the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us in Zechariah 12 and verse 10, when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, the Bible tells us, and I will pour upon the house of David, that is Israel, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they, the nation of Israel, those who survived the tribulation period to see the second coming of Christ, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. He says, and so all Israel shall be saved. All Israel means that one third of Israel that survives the tribulation period. The Bible teaches that two thirds will perish during that awful time the Antichrist is ruling. Then when Jesus returns, that remnant that remains will recognize Christ and says, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, Israel, for this is my covenant unto them, the Jewish people, Israel, when I shall take away their sins. Right now, Jews are saved just like Gentiles, okay, by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and him alone as their way of salvation. But nationally, the nation of Israel, those who who survive that tribulation period, they will recognize Yeshua, the Messiah, has come in the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. And Zechariah 12, 10 says they will mourn like a child because they'll finally realize that it was Jesus all along. And so what began with Israel in Leviticus 16 is completed with Israel at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one may ask, what must I do to be saved? Well, it's too late. You can't do anything. It's already done. The Bible says simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thine house. I'll finish with a little story. A a lady who liked to go to garage sales spotted an antique copper kettle at a yard sale, and she purchased it for $2.50. It was dirty, kind of scratched up, and she took it home and cleaned it up real well with polish, and when she set it out in her own yard sale, she just said, name your price, and someone comes along and pays $250 for that $2.50 a copper kettle. Now it is 100 times worth its original value. What changed? The only thing that changed was that it was cleaned up. That is what atonement does. It is what gives us value. Beloved, our value is not found in our money and our bank account. Our value is not in our job, our education. Our value is not in the home we live in or the automobile we drive, the clothes we wear. People try to establish their value as if that somehow makes them worthy of something. No, the only thing that gives us value is what happened at the atonement. When Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood for our sins, and when you accept him... 
It is Jesus who gives you value. And then the best is yet to come. When we get to heaven, the Bible says that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible. It is undefiled and it fades not away. It is reserved in heaven for you. And that's good news. Thank God for the atonement that was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to us by radio and by podcast. We always enjoy being with you. And I look forward to being with you again next time. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds with Bible Truth for Living saying may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Thank you for listening.